Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Hello and welcome to a great episode of The Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be doing a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I thought we could maybe do a segment, a segment that's a fairly new one and one that I really enjoy talking to you about. Uh, it's uh, the segment about how we have been poisoned by this show for for normal life, and we are always trying our dumb bits on other people and generally failing when we do that. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. Adam, uh, I have a couple of these written down. I don't know which one to start with, but uh, I'll tell you about this one. The other day, uh, I mentioned before, I think, that I went to the dentist recently. Right. And um, I had so many cavities in, they said, like, in three of the four quadrants of my mouth, I have cavities. So Oh, no. Yeah. Like, I I had, they they went for the really bad one. uh, And I was like, well, why don't you just take care of all of it today? So that I don't have to like sit and worry about the next time I have to come in, and they uh, they said um, if we numb your mouth up enough to do all three quadrants, you will literally bite your tongue off. So you're gonna have to come back. Whoa! And uh, <laughs> I uh, I have there is one joke in my life that you know the scene in Roger Rabbit where Judge Doom knows that he can get. Roger out of the uh, out of out of the hiding place by doing shave and a haircut. Mm-hmm. Like I have that level of compulsion with this joke. I I was like finished with my with getting my tooth drilled, and I uh, I had to go up to the front desk to make my appointment for uh, a couple of weeks from now to get the other two cavities taken care of. The lady at the dentist office suggests a time of two thirty. Oh God, <laughs> and. <laughs> Like I'm Roger Rabbit, I can't let that dangle. And I was like, "Perfect, no, no, no better time to go to the dentist, right?" All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what, blank stare. She's just like it meant nothing to her. It was like a character in Westworld that doesn't sound like anything to me. Why else do you get into the dentistry game if not for I, that? I know. <laughs> The, the world is your joke oyster if if you work at a dentist, especially if you work in scheduling at a, a, a dentist's office. The way I see it, the scheduler is molarly obligated to laugh at that joke. <laughs> All I do is... Bits, bits, bits. No matter what. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm the only person in the world that molarly obligated <laughs> would ever work on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, uh, as if, uh, you know, just to add insult to injury, I was already in a great deal of pain that day. And then I tried my, my favorite dentist's office 2.30 joke. While my tooth was actually hurting and uh, I got nothing. Oof. I'm, I'm sorry, Ben. I hope, I hope sharing that gives you some comfort. 
<laughs> Do you have anything you need to get off your chest? I recently went back to the restaurant that you and I went to the last time you were up here. Uh, there's a great restaurant in Seattle called June Baby. Great restaurant. And uh, it's not a place I go to a lot because it's a place that's very hard to get into. They're super booked. And so uh, I was pretty jazzed to have made a reservation there a few days ago. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I went. And, uh, you know, you check in at the check-in booth, as you do in most restaurants of this kind. And uh, when I was approached by the host, I mentioned that I had a 745 appointment. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, the react shot was... <laughs> Was just like the the head tilt, the head tilt that I was expecting for having misspoken in that way, and yeah. I was like, uh, I know this isn't a medical procedure, but uh, <laughs> it could be. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. <laughs> and it was like your interaction, Ben. I got nothing. Like I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Like they weren't even there. Yeah. Having worked in a restaurant only briefly, I know that the folks that work the the hosting table probably hear everything. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, so this couldn't have been the first time, right? Well, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, I was on the other side of this equation when I worked at a restaurant. Like, I was the guy that thought he was fucking hilarious as a busboy going, you want me to box that up for you while I was picking up some yeah. somebody's plate that they'd eaten clean? Yeah. Uh, like, which should come as a surprise to nobody. But I imagine, like, if you've worked at a restaurant long enough to be at the uh, at the host table, like, every bit is hack. And especially, uh, like, if you're working in a popular restaurant, right? You're often disappointing people with <laughs> with the amount of wait time that there is. And so, I'm sure, yeah. like, a a sense of humor is not something you necessarily want to go into that job with. Okay, I have one more bit that I tried out in public that did not go well, Adam. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, lay it on me. Okay, so a couple of weekends ago, a close friend of my wife's is a fine artist, and she's primarily a painter, but uh, she had designed like a dance performance around a new series of paintings. So we had... uh, invites to go to this like art opening that was also a performance and uh it was a really cool performance and we uh really had a great time but it was in like a part of town that artists can still afford to rent spaces kind of area so skid row it wasn't like dicey but it was definitely like kind of industrial and definitely not like a super well lit part of town you know pulling in and like parking after dark we were like where is this like where are we going and we get to the address that was listed and it is it appears to be like a like a boarded up storefront but then there's like an alleyway that uh we could see like some some light down at the end of and uh so we we hazarded to walk down this alleyway to see if this was where it was and it turned out it was it was like uh there was like a house behind this row of stores and the art opening was actually in the boarded up storefront, but they had just like, they put like plywood in the windows and painted it white to make it just like a contiguous part of the gallery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was just like, it was like a very, like, I was a little uneasy. I didn't, I, I wasn't sure if we were safe or, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know where we were. And, uh, and then we're back there and it's just like a bunch of 
artists and like dancers getting ready for the dance performance and uh, other people that are there to attend. So it was chill, but like we walked into the gallery space and they were kind of setting up and it was clear that they kind of needed the room clear and we went outside. And so in this alley, somebody had one of those 55 gallon oil drums with the lid pulled off and they were like burning scrap wood <laughs> in the oil drum like that uh, scene with Frank Stallone in, in in Rocky. Right. And so, like, we were standing around, like, uh, you know, people were drinking beers and stuff. We were just standing around this, like, oil drum fire. And I and I uh, didn't know anybody there other than my wife. And I just turned to the group and I said, uh, anybody uh, want to do a little harmonizing? Oh, fuck. All I do is... Bits, bits, bits. No matter what. And this guy... This guy is like uh, walking some more scrap wood over back. to, yeah, do, do, yeah. Do, do, take you back, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy walks over uh, to put a, a few more pieces of scrap wood in the drum, and uh, just he makes eye contact, direct eye contact with me, and says, "Oh, you uh, think it would be a funny bit to do a little singing?" Oh shit! Just fucking ripped me apart right in front of everybody like i <laughs> we've talked a lot about this before ben the the biggest weapon against a bit is is just describing the bit that just happened back at the bit person boy i have never had the door slammed rough. on my dick that hard before wow <laughs> it, was, it was insane <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah like and and like i think that i can acknowledge that it was like probably a hack bit like the restaurant host person whose job sure. it is to disappoint people if you're an artist that routinely has openings at your at your event space and one of the things that you're into is burning broken up frames from paintings that didn't go well in a 55 gallon oil drum you've probably had people come up to you and try the take you back Frank Stallone harmonizing bit a million times. But I didn't know that guy, you know? I I didn't know if he was there as an attendee or if he owned the place or what, you know? Good for you for not hitting back. I don't know that I would have been able to resist being a fucking asshole to that person in response. <laughs> well, you know me, Adam. Everything feels like my fault to me, no matter right. what. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> You didn't even think about kicking over his burn barrel? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I did not. Uh, I, I managed to resist all of the temptation that he had given me. The, uh, the halibut that you brought for the potluck, you just lower <laughs> into the flames. <laughs> Enjoy this potpourri, asshole. <laughs> Wow. Well, eventually we'll tell a bit story that has a happy ending, but uh, yeah, three, one where it actually worked. Yeah, three real crushers there. Would you have tried that bit, Adam? Like, is your filter good enough to like tell you not to let that kind of crack leave your mouth in a situation like that? I am. Here's the thing. Like, I am self-conscious enough about my Rocky fandom that I wouldn't just let that slip <laughs> in mixed company. So I probably would have kept that to myself, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even 
think of the the Rocky fandom aspect of it. I mean, you and John have have so shamed me on our hit podcast Friendly Fire for my <laughs> for my stated interest in Sylvester Stallone films that yeah that anymore I can't really betray my true feelings in that way. Wow. Even for a bit. Well, my face is very red, and uh, I would like to talk about something, anything else. <laughs> do you want to uh, get into the episode we came here to discuss today? Let's do it, Ben. Let's do it. It's uh, season four of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and episode four. It's called Indiscretion. <laughs> do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> <laughs> No, of course you don't. And it's the first episode directed by LeVar Burton. Really? I did not notice that. Bullshit, man. This is bullshit. (laughs) Or the first uh, Deep Space Nine episode directed by LeVar Burton. And Ben, this brings together a kind of... uh, I mean, I've talked about conflict rhombuses before, but there is sort of uh, an amazing racial rhombus in play here, which is... uh, Deep Space Nine is a show now with two black lead characters. Uh, this episode is directed by a black director who himself was a significant trailblazer uh, for representation on television. And uh, it's a show that often depicts a black family unit and now is depicting a black romantic relationship. It feels historical here. Yeah. I mean, with Jordy and Worf on TNG, that was uh, at least um, a fragment of that. Uh, of that situation was in a play, but this is uh, this is taking it to a whole nother level, and and uh, I think that's a, a great point. It feels like that slot machine in Vegas that doesn't have like three things; it has like six things. And right, we, and we've hit we've hit like six things on this episode. There was a recent episode of the Flop House where Elliot Kalin was talking about the uh, film "Can You Ever Forgive Me," the Melissa McCarthy film yeah. that came out last year. And one thing that he said that really stuck in my head was that, like, the characters are gay, but that it's not about it's an it's not a movie about the characters' gayness. It's mm-hmm. about us, like, a thing that they experience, and that they are gay is as incidental to their experience as that another character from film being straight would be. Right. And and I think that that's something that's kind of interesting to observe about deep space nine at this point is that like it is not self-consciously trying to point at all the black characters and like make a big deal out of that it's just yeah they happen to be black and that's uh, an aspect of their character and and an a, a aspect of their character that's being honored but it's not the the main thing about them it's not being know? called attention to in a hey look at this kind of way Right, and it's not, uh, they're not being collapsed into that yeah. as being like their primary character trait. It is an aspect of their characters. Right, right. Uh, this is going to, I mean, for all of that being stated, this is an episode <laughs> that is primarily about Kira. Yeah, but an episode that does delve back into some race issues that yeah. uh, that this show has explored before, which is the idea of... Uh, Cardassian and Bajoran romance, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Worf has gotten a big promotion to be the telephone operator on the uh, on uh, the station. Major, you have an incoming transmission from a Roska Karn. Persistent, loud, ringy <laughs> telephone. 
<laughs> the solution? Answering machine. Believe it or not, I'm not home. <laughs> this is that guy that played the uh, finger plugs with data, right? It sure is, Ben. It's a uh, Korami. Yeah. He's a, uh, a Korami of the cow milking game. <laughs> um, he's a real Star Trek that guy. I think he was also on an episode of Star Trek Enterprise, uh, not to mention Total Recall. He's really great. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Uh, in this episode, couldn't be more different from Kolrami. He's kind of, uh, he's got kind of like Hesher haircut, <laughs> male pattern baldness, and uh, he's kind of a uh, kind of a Bajoran outlaw slash scrapper. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's a he works in the Star Trek universe in a place that you and I have often talked about wanting to know more about as a scrapper. We love Wrecking Yard Guy in TNG. We love Scrap Yard Guy here. Yeah. You know the family in Making a Murderer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kind of feels like he's cut from a similar cloth to them, but for space. Yeah, well put. Unclear if, if there is a Brandon Dassey figure uh, <laughs> hanging around the periphery here. Oh. No. We should mention that Razga Karn is played by Roy Brocksmith. He deserves to be named by name. He's he's one of the greats. Yeah. So his FaceTime is all about a piece of scrap metal that he bought that is from a missing Cardassian spaceship, uh, the the Ravenok, which uh, which disappeared at some point in the past, and uh, we are made to understand that Kira has been quite curious to find out what ever befell the Ravenok because she had a friend aboard. Uh, the Ravenok is not to be confused with the comedy end-of-world concept uh, created by John Hodgman. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is something different. Or the, or the Thor movie that came out a oh, couple yeah. years ago. Thor Ravenok, uh, not a thing. <laughs> don't, don't search for it on Netflix. It's not on there. Right. Taika Waititi had nothing to do with <laughs> Thor Ravenok. <laughs> Did you know that Netflix took down Hodgman's stand-up special because they didn't want people to watch it accidentally when they were trying to watch Thor Ragnarok? No. I heard him talking about that on a podcast. That is crazy. Wait, are you fucking serious? I thought you were just, I thought that was a bit. Really? No, that's a real thing. I know I'm always doing bits, but right now I'm telling you a thing I heard Hodgman say on one of, uh, on on a podcast that- That's pretty uh, shitty. Yeah. I know. That's a great stand-up special. It is. Yeah, I saw him do... I saw that live, and then... Uh, I love that. I've been fortunate enough to see a couple of uh, touring stand-ups do their Netflix special live and then see it later uh, on Netflix, and that was one of them. That's really fun. Yeah. Kira has, like, her customary what's going on W slash R slash T crime meetings with Odo <laughs> later, and uh, he notices that she's a little... A little distracted. Outside the window, Worf is like, <laughs> "Hey, can can I join?" Uh, I see a I see a spare seat in there. You guys, uh... <laughs> I put all the phone calls to voicemail. I'm actually very free. <laughs> Odo kind of reads Kira here. Shay comes from reading. Reading came first. He knows that she's obsessed with finding the Ravenock, and he knows that uh, 
what she's going to do is go find this guy in the uh, in the Badlands. It doesn't matter if I think there are any survivors, or even if you think there are any survivors, you are going to go looking for that ship. And all I can say is good luck. She initially tries to get Raska Karn to bring this piece to Deep Space Nine, and he, he says uh, he can't come out in the open right now, so she's going to have to come find him. The story with the Ravenock is that uh, it's a ship that disappeared six years ago, and it's been sort of a hobby horse for Kira ever since. Do you think she's like one of those people that goes on r slash Reddit Bureau of Investigations and tries to solve cold cases in her free time? I kind of feel that way because Odo intimates that this isn't the first goose that she's chased with respect to the Ravenock. And he respects it in a really interesting way, too. Like, he doesn't make fun of her. Unlike he did with Worf uh, when Worf was trying to do security. Right. When Kira tries to do it, it it's quite encouraging. Worf's the butt of everyone's jokes. So Kira's getting ready to go, and Sisko comes down, and he's like, hey, you actually have to, like, hang out for a second because we're going to attach a Cardassian officer to this mission because uh, the Cardassians heard about what you're going to do, and being that it's a Cardassian ship that had... Cardassian military aboard like they they get to do this from you know and like diplomatically it's the right move this show usually displays impeccable scene cut hygiene from scene to scene this is one of the only instances that I can remember where we cut from a scene that Cisco's in directly to another scene that Cisco's in because from here we cut to the docking ring with Cisco and Dax talking yeah, that's a that is a bit confusing. I mean, it's one of those things where you have to like it's a cognitive speed bump. You have to go like, oh, this must just be later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to understand as a viewer that this is a jump in time. But you know, so often a show won't even attempt this for that reason. Yeah, right. You or you throw like a couple of shots of people walking around on the promenade, or like cut to exterior of the station and then cut back in. You know, just to show some passage of time and. It's the reason that we use interstitials on this show. Same concept. I always wondered why we used this. Yeah. (laughs) Passage of time. This show takes six hours to record, Ben. We cut so much out. I know. You know, if you think the stuff we leave in is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Golden Golden Cotton. Cisco and Dax are talking about Cassidy Yates in the docking ring. Yeah. And, Apparently uh, they're getting uh, pretty hot and heavy. Hot and heavy? You said hot and heavy? Yeah. We're given this image of Cisco as a very private person, but he's not. He's not because his behavior contradicts that at every turn. He's very willing to discuss these matters with his friends. I feel like he should know by now not to have conversations like the one he has with Cassidy in front of Dax. Right. Because Dax is demonstrated herself on many occasions not to be trusted with shit like this because she is always going to push you to be like more emotionally vulnerable for the lulls right yeah uh the thing they're talking about is that cassidy yates has applied for the bajoran ministry of commerce job which is a job that would make living on the station and working in the quadrant possible so all those long long trips that she used to take uh, where she'd be gone for months and months at a time, would uh, would come to an end. She'd be a local. She'd be a local, and uh, and that would put her in near constant proximity to Ben Sisko. And he does not exactly have a poker face when this idea is 
uh, laid at his feet. He right. is very obviously intimidated by the potential of that. Yeah. So Cassidy Yates walks out and is like, great, well, I've got the interview coming up. Looking forward to it. And uh, and Dax turns to Cisco and uh, and basically giggles that uh, she's... She's found out that uh, Cassidy Yates is serious about Ben. Ben Sisko's suffering is amusing to Dax, clearly. <laughs> it always has been. Yeah. Yeah. Back at Ops, uh, ahead of Kira's trip, the, the chaperone is about to beam aboard and request to be beamed directly to Ops. And who is the last person you think Kira wants to see in this moment? Uh, the person that brings their timpani drum along with them, it's Gul Dukat. Yeah. You never bring a drum on an away mission, Ben. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Everybody knows that. It's like giving your friends, kids, a musical instrument as a gift. It's a real <laughs> fuck you, isn't it? <laughs> so so we get a very long two-person scene, just a dialogue scene between Dukat and Kira as they head out for uh, the Badlands. It's kind of, uh, you know, Kira got stuck next to a chatty person on a transcontinental flight. Hello there. Are you two heading for Las Vegas? And Dukat, I mean, we've seen Dukat in these circumstances before. He doesn't really get the hint. Part of this falls at Kira's feet a little bit because, she, like, the first, the first beat of this scene is her kind of laying out ground rules. Like, this is my mission. I'm in command. You're going to have to kind of do what I say. And... Those, those feel like ground rules that you might have wanted to lay down before you left the station. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I don't know that I go on a two-person road trip like this without kind of getting a sense of uh, how much buy-in I have on ground rules before <laughs> departing. Right. The scene introduces a conflict right away because uh, the thing that they are both chasing is personal to them for different reasons because the Ravenok was under Dukat's command. And that is the way that he is choosing at this moment in time to present uh, his personal relationship to the mission. And uh, Lorit Akram's... <laughs> is that how you pronounce that? I, I think it know. probably is. Lorit Akram is, uh, is the associate of Kira, and uh, that's the man who recruited Kira into the Shikar resistance cell that uh, she had such a good haircut for back in the day. Yeah. So... Uh, and so if she ever wants that haircut again, she's going to have to find Lorit Akram. Lorit Akram. I see. I mean, and then she's going to have to go through that awkward phase where she grows it out, and it's kind of like a weird middle length that doesn't look like anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the callback, the greatest discovery? Like, yeah, like when you're trying to grow Ash Tyler locks and you just, yeah. and you just quit. Yeah, you, you you punch out like two weeks away from being long enough. Yeah. One um, awkward moment in this scene is Dukat makes a case that the Bajorans are better off having been at war with the Cardassians. It's a weird scene. He's saying like Bajoran steel was hardened in the crucible of the Cardassian occupation. Yeah, uh, I don't think Kira is ready to accept this. No, it's a terrible, it's a terrible observation. It's very like colonial chauvinism uh character moment for for ducat and i think that it is in keeping with his character i agree like as disgusting as the sentiment is i think it's totally appropriate for him to have aired it yeah he <laughs> he goes from being 
merely a chatty seatmate on a transcontinental flight to like the seatmate that wants to tell you about something they read in a Glenn Beck book. <laughs> Boy, speaking of things that should probably be phrased differently, there is a dinner going on in Cisco's quarters between uh, Cassidy and Ben Cisco, where uh, Cassidy shares she gets the job. Which should yeah. be great news, but what Ben Cisco says is uh, is a little less than enthusiastic. He's got that big step energy. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, again, he cannot he cannot conceal his misgivings about about this new situation, and this is a a real thing that happens in relationships, like an economic force or or some other external force, like hastens the progression of moments in a way that makes one or the other or both partners uncomfortable. It's like what happens when the seduction catches the car, right? (laughs) There's like that real moment of truth where you need to transition from that into whatever happens next. I just get horny for things. (laughs) I just love the chase. (laughs) Give me that chase. You want to know how I got these scars? God. Holy shit, Ben. The argument where one person isn't as enthusiastic as the other person is about a thing is a thing that I vibe with. Like, you just don't recognize when you walk into this, I'm not going to say trap, because that's not what it is, but like that moment where your perception of a thing is different from the thing, different from the other person's. Right. And and how hurtful that can be when you're not in alignment. It is an incredibly real and real feeling moment in this in this episode, and it really had me squirming in my seat a couple of times just for like how realistic this feels. And like there like so many times in dramatic television, like things could be sorted out if the characters just talked about it. Right. You know, like if you just said what was on your mind, and this is an example of that. But it's actually a good example of that because it's hard to be emotionally vulnerable with somebody, especially when you care as much about them as Cisco obviously does about about Cassidy. Like he bites his tongue in this moment because he doesn't want to fuck this up. Yeah. And in biting his tongue, he fucks this up. Yeah. I Been there, done that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually a t-shirt available in the Max Fun store now. No, just kidding. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, pretty rough, and uh, and she blows him off. Like, she leaves. She leaves their catfish dinner, it looks like. What do you think they're eating? Looks like a fried look, piece of fish. I was thinking it was, like, veal milanese or something like that. Mm. You think they're having veal milanese on a, on a weeknight? Yeah, man. That shit is delicious. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. You can do it with chicken, though, and it doesn't involve killing a baby cow, and it's still pretty good. Right. I do like... I do like a fried cutlet. Yeah, but like if you pound out like a chicken thigh, you get real close to that. You do. And it doesn't feel as bad. <laughs> it feels good to pound cutlet, doesn't it? <laughs> to be quite honest about it, I was in a pail. A fucking pail. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. The runabout shows up in the Badlands, where Kira is meeting up with uh, her buddy Razka, who has a big bent-up piece of metal for her, and Ducat pretty quickly 
uh, verifies that it's a, a piece of Cardassian hardware. Why didn't you tell me you were bringing him along? But this is just the first clue because uh, Raskakarn bought it from a Ferengi and uh, he actually paid the uh, Ferengi's crew off to tell him uh, just exactly where he made the salvage. It, uh, it was in orbit of planet Desoria. I really love Raska in this scene. He's sort of like if Han Solo were played by Wayne Knight instead of, uh, <laughs> you know, like he's got all the gravitas of Han Solo, but like, come on, yeah. it's Raska. Yeah. Princess Leia says, uh, I love you. And it cuts back to Raska going, uh, 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 you didn't <laughs> say the magic word. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty great. He's got big Newman energy here. Desoria, we've got Desoria here. <laughs> See, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a this is a moment of inflection in the episode because when Ducat waves his tricorder over it, uh, he confirms the suspicion that this is a part from the ship they're looking for, and Raska says that the rest of those parts could very well be on Desoria, and it's just it's just a trip away in the runabout. Yeah. So, like, in pretty short order, Kira and Dukat are, like, running around on sand dunes. Yeah. Uh, this is a really, like, super exotic location for Star Trek, I feel like. Really fun. And there's, like, a great big wrecked starship set in the sand dunes. There's a visual language here I'm sure that you got right away, Ben, which is, like, uh, exposure blowout frequently means hot, right? Like, they're on yeah. a hot planet. And yeah, you can tell the, uh... because all the whites are very blown out in, in all of these scenes. Then why don't you move back to Massachusetts? I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> on top of that visual language, like they are always walking on an uncomfortable angle mm -hmm. in these scenes. And uh, that just serves to like really ratchet up the tension between the two characters. I noticed that they went handheld in a lot of scenes that would usually be locked off like the two shots of them just talking to each other they're moving they're moving subtly but like they're not they're not stable in a way that that makes you feel uncomfortable with these characters you never feel settled yeah when when the camera is floating like that it's because the tripod's sinking ben yeah well i think probably also <laughs> lavar burton makes it intentional choices like this to to ratchet that tension up yeah, I know. I was joking. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. I mean, they find the crash ship on Desoria and a circle of 12 graves, which is far fewer than the ship's complement. So it seems like a real... I mean, they're, they're finding breadcrumbs here. They're not finding what they, what they came to look for. No, they got to keep looking around. And Kira comes up with a plan of using, like, the ship's computer to see... What what's going on? They have like a little argument actually, because Ducat wants to go through the graves by himself because of deeply held uh, funeral rite convictions that he has, um, and so he kind of talks Kira into giving him some some time and space, and she says she'll be able to identify any Bajorans among the bunch by their uh, their jewelry, their ear jewelry. <laughs> I love how differently they approach this. Because, I mean, there are Cardassians and Bajorans buried in the Circle of Twelve. And what we find out later is that, like, Dukat has dug up Bajoran bodies and removed their ear 
their earrings, like their ear jewelry. <laughs> and I guess like <laughs> like Ducat makes the case that like our cultures have different views on like the vessel of a body and its importance after death. But still right. like he's been rubbaging around in those in those burial plots and it's fine. Yeah. What was that red stuff? Was that guts? Or was it like robes from like a Bajoran religious figure? I felt like they were implied guts, but they wouldn't be red if they were guts, right? They would be like much more desiccated. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't figure that out. No. But anyways, uh the uh the guy that Kira is looking for is not among them, but perhaps more startlingly, we come to understand that uh somebody that Ducat was looking for is among them. This was a lady that he had a romantic entanglement with when he was the uh the head of the occupation of Bajor, but this woman was Bajoran. Right. Yeah. Uh Ducat had a side piece. He's a married man. And there's some judgment on Kira's part of like the like she is even, I think, a little judgmental of women who became involved with Cardassians, like Bajoran women who became involved with Cardassians during the occupation because, you know, they were, I guess, in bed with the enemy from her perspective. Yeah, like Kira plays this as kind of a consort vibe and Dukat disabuses her of this right away. He's like, we were in love. You don't know. It was different. Yeah. So they head off to uh, to see if they can track down the survivors because there's, you know, a few dozen people that would have survived this thing uh, given the number of graves. And uh, they actually have something to go on because the, uh, the Bajoran resistance cell members always had like little uh, transponders embedded in their skin that will leave a detectable... Uh, trail behind them seems like something that would be like kind of bad for opsec if you don't want the cardassians to find you but uh who knows it's weird there sure is an asymmetry in intelligence right like earlier on kira's like i've got all the command codes for the six-year-old computer that's cool it's an older code sir but it checks out and then yeah. when she shares this knowledge with ducat he's like oh i had no idea <laughs> good to know <laughs> That way. Let's go. Back on the station, Cisco is having a hang with Bashir and Dax. I'm not really sure why you would ask for relationship advice from Bashir, but maybe he was just already hanging out with Dax and Ben needs this information fairly urgently. You're sure. Positive. What do I do about my relationship with Cassidy? How big did I fuck up? Like, I don't even really... Like, that's how badly I fucked up. I don't even know how bad it is. And yet, body language-wise, Cisco is sitting at the table the way O'Brien would be sharing dinner with a couple of Cardassians. Like, he's basically facing the other way. So it's hard for me to tell how invested he is in in their advice at this point. Yeah, they're, they're trying to find out if he's like like they're really parsing it in the way that that uh you know friends often do when you're in a relationship and you're trying to like you know a new relationship and you're trying to like puzzle through like what the signs mean like the question is did you say this is a big step or this is a very big step because like like Cassidy basically announced like I'm not even going to go for this job anymore because obviously like it's going to make you miserable and I can't believe that like I would have have 
even tried for something that was designed to get me closer to you and you throw it back in my face like this. I think what's interesting about this scene is that for all of the conversation that Dax and Bashir have about that statement of it's a big step, no one knows at this point whether Ben Sisko wants her to stay, actually. I don't even know if he does because the moment of it is really weighing on him. We get like one little check-in from Quark because he's on this show. I mean, who knows more about women than me? Where he tells Cisco like, oh yeah, treat her even worse. And then she'll want more gifts from you or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's like really barely in this episode. It's like, it's got to be the one of those ones where he's like, really, I got to put the loaf on for this. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. But he is wearing your favorite tunic, I think. He is. Yeah, he's wearing the shave ice tunic. <laughs> Favorite one. He looks very chill in that. Yeah. What are you doing now? Exactly. Back on Desoria, Loret's earring is not among those found among the buried by Ducat. And as Ducat grieves the death of his lover, it's clear that among those missing may be a daughter that he had with uh, yeah. with Tora. And so, there. I mean, the hunt is still very much alive, right? Because Ducat makes it clear that he needs to find his daughter in order to kill her. And Kira very much wants to prevent this from happening. You don't have to take her back to Cardassia with you. Let me take her to Bajor. They've had like some some weird bonding at this point. Like they're they're camping out overnight in, in a cave and like Ducat stick sits down on like an eight inch long needle. Which like it seems like that would be like a trip ending injury, but instead it's like a belly laugh moment for both of them. Right. And then, like, that scene kind of turns into, oh, yeah, like, uh, when we find all these people, like, uh, I had a war baby. She she will be among them as a teenager now. I'm going to I'm gonna kill her. And, and it's like the, like, pendulum swing in this episode is Kira is horrified to find out that she's going to have to go on this mission with Dukat to them, like, actually connecting and bonding a little bit in a way that, like, I really felt like, oh, this is going to wind up being about Dukat loving Kira. And then it swings back so hard and so fast when this when this bomb drops about the idea that he is here to to kill an inconvenient offspring of his. Do you think you could have punched up the episode by not having Dukat share this bit with Kira and having this be a surprise when he finds his daughter later? I kind of think so. Wow. Um... Like, you have him turn over in his sleeping bag to commercial with a dun-dun-dun, and you and you can be told that there's something more to Ducat's story without him having to spill the beans entirely in this scene, I think. Hmm. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting both ways, because, like, th- this way we get to see them have kind of a protracted, multi-scene-long argument about whether that's a good plan or not. Yeah. And... And I think that... It gives them something to talk about on the journey. You're right. It does. I mean, like, I I really see the advantage of, of what you're talking about in terms of, like, making it a real shock when mm-hmm. when it actually happens. Um, but I, I, think, I think this was an interesting way to do it also. 
I have a crucial question to ask you about this scene. Hmm. If Ducat ran the dermal generator over his butthole, would it close? <laughs> like, how careful do you need to be with this thing? <laughs> does it close any hole? Wow. I kind of think it does. Like, how could it, how could it discriminate among holes? <laughs> to a dermal regenerator, every hole needs to be closed. <laughs> <laughs> to a hammer. Yeah. Uh. That's where I was going Everything with Everything looks like a nail. Yep. <laughs> you could really get into trouble with that thing. Yeah, you could uh, you could reenact that scene from The Matrix where yeah. uh, where Neo's mouth closes. Yeah. Yeah, that could be a big problem. Ducat's never used that thing before. You don't think he's ever taken a dump? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> I'm talking about using a dermal rege- regenerator. Like yeah, that's like I I gotcha. All right. He doesn't even know how to turn it on. His butthole either. <laughs> so before they find the survivors, uh, we get a little scene with Captain Cisco and his son Jake. Another dinner scene in the Cisco quarters, and uh, Jake kind of drops a bunch of knowledge bombs on his dad in this scene. Like he's he's been talking over the situation with Cassidy and her new job with uh with his friend Nog and what they put together is that the uh the stakes of this relationship becoming that serious are scary to Cisco because he's worried about uh bringing women into his life because the last one he brought into his life was killed because of his life and all of the stuff that has been making the prospect of Cassidy becoming a neighbor in addition to a girlfriend terrifying to Captain Sisko. Did Nog convince Jake of this by hitting him repeatedly in the face? Because did you notice uh, Sirach Lofton's right eyelid looks like it's got a big scab on it? Oh, really? Yeah. Shoot, I didn't notice that. Something's up with him. I tried looking up what had happened, but I couldn't find any mention of it. Like if he had been injured doing a stunt on another episode or or in real life. But yeah, it looked like something was was wrong with his eye. Shoot. Yeah. Maybe he got in a bar fight at Quirks. Could have happened. <laughs> he and Nog were talking over his dad's relationship problems back to pack as back to back as they fought off like a crowd of Klingons or something. Maybe Jake fell down into Lita. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like this is uh, you know, kind of a it's a weird moment, I think, because I think it may have been written with the idea that it is a from the mouth of babes kind Mm. of moment except for jake is like a man now right so so it it plays a little weird but um jake's bajoran bar mitzvah was off the hook (laughs) (laughs) but what he says to cisco is really real and uh even more importantly perhaps he reassures his dad that you know nog knows some of this stuff but you know the the business is not out in the streets necessarily right this whole idea of the fear of things not working out being the personal responsibility of one or both people is another element of Cisco's story this episode that feels very real and grounded in what contemporary relationships are like, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's um, it's the reason why many friends don't end up in relationships with e- with each other, like romantic relationships, like because this is the risk. Right. The and and being 
Like, I think that we react instinctively to risk sometimes in relationships. Yeah. And it just takes kind of getting called on it to kind of bring it up to conscious level yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And it's a really compelling scene about a thing that is very familiar and it's really well done. So back on Dezoria, uh, Kira and Dukat have found the survivors uh, and they're in a Breen prison mining camp. On Dezoria, there are no stockades. There are no <laughs> walls. On the surface, you die. There's no electronic frontier. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were at Bridge Over the River Kwai for, our, uh, for a recent episode of Friendly Fire. Did you notice that that line from Star Trek VI is a reference to Bridge Over the River Kwai? I did, and I loved it. But I'm also glad we didn't bring it up on that Friendly Fire episode. Well, John would have just made fun of us. It's not right to cross-pollinate. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Breen have taken these people into custody. I've been hacking into government and corporate systems all over the country. And are using them to mine dilithium, just like Rurapente, mm-hmm. I guess. And yeah, the Breen live on a very cold planet, so they have to be in spacesuits on a hot planet like this one. Really gets you off the hook if you're an alien designer. The sure Breen does. at this point have not been creature designed, so so they need these suits at this point in time. I think this is the only way you ever see Breen is yeah. in these suits. Yeah. You're no. You're no. But yeah, so they uh, they're like they're trying to come up with a plan, and it's like a debate of who's gonna keep an eye on this situation while one of them runs back to the shuttle and and radios for backup because this is like a compound, right? They can't just storm this. Right, and it's Dukat that orders Kira to go back to DS9 to get that backup, and that's not something that Kira is willing to do because of Dukat's stated interest in killing his daughter. Yeah, I I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, so I'm not leaving you alone with this situation. And so they go in. There's an elliptical edit uh, wherein you don't see Dukat and Kira change into Breen air-conditioned spacesuits because that scene would have taken about 40 minutes. <laughs> like that uh there's a well, lot going on with those Breen suits. I feel like it's a really funny smash cut though because like in Star Wars A New Hope has has this exact scene, right? Yeah. Like where they they call the stormtroopers up onto the Falcon and then they, when uh you know two stormtroopers walk down the the ramp you understand them to be Luke and Han. That's fun. That's that's got to be the nod then. I yeah, it's just too dense to get it. Take over. We've got a bad transmitter. I'll see what I can do. It's like even more elliptical version of that. Like, you know that there were some hijinks where they had to attract two Breen around a corner and then bonk them on the head. Right. <laughs> but you, like, you just have to imagine it, and that's kind of fun. Once they get into the caves, uh, it's a little bit of a firefight. And during that, uh, Ducat squirrels away in order to find his daughter. But it isn't long before Kira has found them both. And it is Ducat with his gun sight on his daughter. And the scene was surprisingly touching, I thought. Uh, the actor who plays Torres Eyal did just a really great job in finding the pathos of her circumstance. And uh, Yeah, she gets such a short little... I mean, like I think it's like the 40-minute mark when we finally meet her. And she's been very built up in this episode. Yeah. So it's it's pretty wild that she's able to do as much with this moment as she does. But she really did a great job with this little character. They told me this would happen. 
that you never let me go home. But I, I, I didn't believe them. She is crucial here because you can't turn Ducat unless you have an amazing performance to do so. And hers qualifies. She's she's like less scandalized by this than Kira in a weird way. Yeah, Kira, who has been relegated to... I mean, she's in the triangle. Like, she's in the John Woo scene of, of gun on one person and then gun on another. <laughs> what a predicament! I think it's pretty clear to her early on that that there's a chance of this being resolved non-violently. And it's right. all because of Ducat's daughter. Right, and she's saying, Ducat, like, you wouldn't have told me about your daughter if you didn't kind of, like, implicitly want to save her. Right. You know, like, you would have just done this quietly at some point while we were rescuing these people if uh, if that's if this is what you really wanted. Right. Morn. 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 Phasers are being pointed at children, Adam. <laughs> Ducat has a big decision to make. But is a phaser powerful enough to shoot through a Cardassian heart? <laughs> uh, it appears not, or at least uh, not a half Cardassian heart, because because yeah. uh, Ziel is uh, is part Bajoran. That's right. And, uh, and just Ducat, the bridge of her nose. It's the bridge of her nose, but also no blue in the spoon. Right. Which I guess. Either is indicative of its makeup when we see older Cardassian women doing it. I guess older and also not enslaved in dilithium mine <laughs> Cardassian women do it. Or you don't get that blue if you're not entirely Cardassian. On Desoria, the there is no stockade. <laughs> there is no makeup. <laughs> you cannot get your hair blown out. <laughs> Deodorant is forbidden. There are manicures, but there are no pedicures. <laughs> there are rocks in the sauna, but uh, they are heated electrically, so you're not allowed to pour water over them. Oh, what a shitty sauna that sounds like. Yeah. I was at a sauna like that one time. It was doubly annoying because there were rocks that you weren't allowed to pour water on. And then there was like a giant red warning sign right under the rock saying that. It was like the least relaxing thing to look at in the entire world. Like a warning about severe electrocution or whatever. Yeah, that's how I like to kick back. <laughs> that's why I keep the hairdryer next to the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so Ducat does not kill his his daughter. Nope. Nice of him. Yeah. Yeah. They cut back uh, to they cut back to Kira, and she like smiles and shakes her head, like, "I knew it." You little rascal. Yeah. Back on DS Nine, uh, Cisco wants Cassidy Yates to take the job. He tells her so in the uh, in the cargo loading area. He takes his hat off and holding it in his in both hands, he walks down to the cargo area, <laughs> and uh, and and he mea culpas, you know. I owe you an apology. This was a hard thing for him, and he kind of talks her through like what he went through emotionally. Cisco learned a valuable lesson in this scene, and that is never express pragmatic doubt about a relationship. <laughs> it's the prenuptial <laughs> agreement problem, right? Right. Like that's what happened here. Yeah. That, like, prenuptial agreement issue might be my favorite thing about all of the Real Housewives shows, because, like, about once a season, somebody is getting married and a prenup is 
the, the issue of a prenup is raised on camera between people who are pr- like presumably <laughs> actually getting married to each other because they actually want to. I love that. It's fucking amazing. It's like the most amazing shit to see on television. Like the way people react when somebody like just like tosses that little conversation item into the into the circle. Wow. <laughs> I really need to start watching that show. Yeah. It's good stuff. Ben in this scene sees his job as a threat to Cassidy's life. And that is dug up as the reason for his reluctance about Cassidy taking this job. This this discomfort was uh, out of a feeling of protection. He's like, on the one hand, Admiral Hansen is no more, is not a, an existential threat to all civilian life in the in the Federation. On the other hand, I'm carrying some trauma from that last incident, and I don't want that horrible outcome to befall you. Admiral Hansen pops up on the viewer in the cargo, ar- cargo area. He's like, uh, the relationship does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> I told you never to call me here. <laughs> uh, nothing but an old man's fantasy. But they they patch it up, and it's actually like pretty funny by the end because she's like, "Well, I got I, uh, I I love all this like groveling you're doing, but I got to go to work because of my new job on Bajor. And he's like, "You took that job?" And she says, uh, "Yeah." Do you think I'd give up a great opportunity just because you got cold feet? Pretty rad move by her. And then also, like, cherry on top of the ball-kicking machine cake, (laughs) she kiss-dodges him. Yeah. He goes in for a everything's all right now kiss, and uh, she she dodges. I have never gotten an everything's all right now kiss in my entire life. Yeah, I, I know well enough not to even attempt one. You know that you know that that skillet is hot, and and needs to be allowed to cool before you move it. I mean, it's hard to move around when you're in the ball kicking machine. Like <laughs> like leaning over could mean you could fall over. Yeah. So the button on the episode, Dax and Kira are walking down the promenade. Kira is recounting the hilarious incident where Ducat got a giant spike stuck into his ass. <laughs> I wish I'd been there. And he comes out and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm like me and my daughter are, uh, are just packing up the uh, station wagon. We're gonna we're gonna head back to Cardassia and make a go of it. Her being a part of my life." There seems to be an unspoken understanding that they're gonna keep in touch about this. Yeah. It comes as a big surprise, right? Like, because the whole entire reason of him wanting to kill her was that she was, like, politically and socially inconvenient for him. Right. But so much has changed on Cardassia that I guess the math of that is a little bit different now, right? With the... One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful. 
no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Civilian government and whatnot. Right. Do you think it matters that Ducat's a legate now and maybe has more power Is he a over? Yeah, he's wearing legate. Uh, he's wearing a, a legate top as opposed to the Shit. top that he's worn previously. Wow. God, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Congrats, Ducat. I mean, it, it's hard. Do you, do you think that happened right at the same moment that Jake was putting the fourth pip on uh, on his dad? I know that was confusing, Ben, because most legates we've seen have big, giant beer bellies. <laughs> Are they canar bellies? Oh, yeah. they. Yeah. Are they yamak bellies <laughs> on, on Cardassia? Oh, boy, that guy's got a hell of a yamak belly on him. Give me some canar with a yamak back. <laughs> you know that's how they do it it sounds gross but it's actually delicious <laughs> yeah yeah and that's that sort of brings to light like what the theme of the episode's been about right doing doing the honest thing is hard yeah whether or not you're honest 
with the people you work with or honest with your uh, your society who may have a problem with uh, your half Bajoran, half Cardassian daughter? For a show that sometimes has A and B stories that don't have anything to do with each other. Yeah. Uh, these two are really talking to each other and they are really well drawn, I think. Yeah. Which uh, leads me to a question, Adam. What's that? Did you like this episode? Yeah, I did. And I think it was for the reasons that you most recently stated. Like, I like having that connective tissue between A and B here. And it made the transitions between the two not as jarring as they can sometimes be. Um, I think it's a great Kira episode. feels like it's been a while since we've gotten one that was so focused on her character. And pairing her with Ducat, I think, is always fun. Yeah, I agree. And and the scene where they're laughing with each other is amazing to me. Like, yeah. It really earns a moment where two characters that have just such deep natural antipathy for each other are re- like really drop their guard with each other and and have a laugh. And um I you know, I'm I was like totally drawn into it. I was laughing along with them. I and... really love that it's not a scene of such catharsis that it fixes their relationship and makes them buddies all of a sudden. Like it's okay. Right. It's okay to be in conflict with someone and still have that levity. You know, yeah. that's what made it I think feel so grounded in reality. I, I really liked it for that reason. Like it wasn't it wasn't a quick fix. And I also love that it's like one of those episodes that says like, okay, like we have all of this lore to draw on in Star Trek. Like what could be happening here? And, you know, like bringing in the Breen, like having like all of these, like, it really feels like it, it, it uses the universe to its maximum potential to tell this story. Doesn't matter what century you're in. It doesn't matter how far in the future or what kind of alien you are. Butts are always funny. Always. Every time. No Priority One messages this week because it's Max Fun Drive 2019 time. Just another quick reminder, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Yeah, if you're if you're listening right now and you haven't done it yet, just like, you know, pause or just uh, fire up your browser while you're listening and, and get it done. Like, do it while you're thinking about it because if you forget, you're going to miss out on all of the great pledge gifts and helping us reach our goal and uh we don't want we don't want you to live with those regrets the link is going to be in the in the show notes like if you yep. swipe over an overcast or something uh it's you're just one click away yeah maximumfund.org slash donate do it now Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! You know what, Ben? I might be more interested in hearing who yours is first, TBH. (laughs) Okay. I have actually a uh, time signature Shimoda, if you'll indulge me. I will. Lay it on me. If you go to uh, 18 minutes and 8 seconds, you get a shot of uh, Kira and Ducat coming up over a sand dune and uh, Ducat's pants are so tight that you can actually see what his religion is. <laughs> oh boy. My word, those are snug. <laughs> you know what's great about that is he's just sort of like arches his back and and leans into it. 
Yeah, he's really a pelvis forward. Uh, <laughs> it's like very rare to see these black pants everybody wears on this show lit well enough Oof. for this kind of thing. But uh, every so often, <laughs> get, you get a sense of uh, just how stretchy those pants really are. Wow. You know, I had my own Shimoda bin, but yours was <laughs> so compelling <laughs> that uh, I want to, I'm just going to tear mine up and throw it away. Wow. I'm, I'm A daily double for the Max Fun Drive. I'm going with, uh, that's right, I'm, I'm going with Mark Alamo's dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Max Fun Drive miracle. Remember the Mark Alamo's dick. <laughs> <laughs> he said wearing his uh, raccoon hat. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's big time. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode, season four, episode five, rejoined. Jadzia Dax must choose between her feelings and the rules of the Trill Society when she is reunited with the wife of one of Dax's previous hosts. Is this Joran's ex-wife? That could be pretty dark, right? <laughs> she was like complicit in all his crimes. Yeah. Wow. wonder if it goes in that direction. Probably not, though, right? Yikes. Ben, we're on square 80 of the the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. So we could hit a caught in the nebula, no notes episode. Uh, But I think that's the only thing we can presently hit, right? I think so. Yeah, that's just two away. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and roll the dice if you'll give me a little uh, blow on them bones. Oh my god. God damn it. <laughs> I uh, I rolled a, I rolled a two. Oh, oh nice. That's this is the hit, first time we've ever done a show without notes. I hit a cut in the nebula. So the next episode, an episode we're doing for the Max Fun Drive, will probably be one of the loosest and most shambolic we've ever done. I'm both terrified and also uh, looking forward to it. Tell you what I am, Ben. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all the support we've received at uh, MaximumFun.org slash donate for the Max Fun Drive. Also grateful for all the help that we get episode to episode uh, to make this thing possible. Yeah, we should thank uh, Dark Materia for our original theme music and Adam Ragusea, who chapped and screwed it to make our uh, contemporary theme music. Uh, We really, really appreciate that. Every time we release a new episode... Bill Tilly makes custom trading cards for it, making our jokes funnier. And also J.J. Lendl, who creates custom artwork pieces for every episode. Before the episode drops on Monday, you'll find those often on a Saturday or Sunday, the weekend before an ep. We should thank all of the friends of DeSoto out there who you know support the show in all of the ways. If you're, uh, if you're already a supporter, we really appreciate it. Please consider upgrading your membership during the drive if uh if you cannot afford to uh to support in any way uh we really appreciate just the fact that you listen and uh and maybe consider hitting to apple Podcasts or, or uh, wherever you review shows and uh giving us a nice review uh that is a great way to support us also if you can't afford to support the show this time around uh bug a rich person yeah get them to do it yeah, find somebody who, who's got five bucks a month in the budget and make them do it on your behalf. 
Yeah, find a you sponsor. Pay him back later. Yeah. But yeah, in all honesty, this is all possible because of you. Like the reason we can tour, frankly, you know, in this last year, the show probably would have had to stop if I had been under more financial pressure because I would have had to get a job of some kind and focus on that because, you know, we just moved to Los Angeles like 18 months ago and it has been a big financial pinch for us. The fact that this show was here and helped us be stable uh, financially, even though, you know, like we're not living high on the hog or anything, but just like holding on, (laughs) this show made the case for itself because people support on a monthly basis uh, at MaximumFun.org slash donate. So no one does a Star Trek podcast to get rich. (laughs) I'm just saying like those are the stakes. Like the show stops if we don't have support. So that's the truth. uh, if, uh, If that is a compelling thought to you, like the idea of the show going away, please head to MaximumFun.org slash donate right now and uh, and do your part to ensure its future. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. That, I mean, I, I had a note here for what I would say at this point, but I mean, no notes. So uh, I guess I guess we'll just see what next episode oh, is. Oh wow! Oh, you're you're see, you're I went playing, meta. You're playing bit chess. Yep. <laughs> I've got the upper hand now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.